0: Greetings. Uh, this is the second of a series called The Lion of the Tribe of Judah. Last week I did The Lamb of God and this week I wanted to do The Lion of the Tribe of Judah. So let's take a look at that. This is uh, an illustration that God gives us of, of how he relates to us. As the Lamb of God that has to do with the sacrifice for us as the lion. Well you can kind of guess what that is. A lion is a predator. A lamb is a very innocent, harmless, defenseless animal. The lion is the apex predator, king of the jungle, we might say. So Jesus is presented as both. First thing I thought of when I was looking at this, I thought, well, how many times does it say he's the Lamb of God? Well, there's 27 times, like I mentioned in the Revelation. Well, there was another four times in the New Testament. So then I thought, well, I, mean, I want to look up all the places where it's called the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. Guess what? Only one time. Well, that says several things to me. I think, first of all, just because it's said once doesn't diminish the authority of it. God can say something one time and that's it. Forever it's settled in heaven, He doesn't have to say it a second time or a third time to wear it then more powerful. And as far as the lion, we're going to see that has a lot to do with judgment. And someone who is really tough doesn't run around telling you how tough they are. They don't have to. They're just tough. God doesn't have to brag about being a lion. He just tells us one time. And Here's where he, where he says it. In the Revelation, John was talking about a book, and no one could open the book. No one could be found in heaven or on earth that had the authority to open it. So he said, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that's direct reference to the Messiah, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So that's the only reference to Jesus being the lion that comes from the tribe of Judah. But there's a couple of references in the Old Testament that talks about God being a lion. In God's contention with Israel, the top 10 tribes and Judah, the Benjamin, the bottom two tribes, he also called Israel Ephraim. Ephraim was oppressed and crushed in judgment because he was determined to follow man's command. Ephraim went to Syria to a king there, Jerob, but he's unable to heal you or cure you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. So like, just tear them up. And there will be none to deliver. And I will go away and return to my place. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, in their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Another time, a little bit later in Hosea, here's the way he phrases this thing about being a lion. He was talking about how faithful he had been to Israel. I've been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, time of Moses. And you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lie in wait by the wayside. I shall encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. And I will tear open their chests. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. So where is your king now, that he may come and save your cities? And those judges you requested, the kings and princes. So God's making mockery. Where are the people that can save you? They're nowhere around. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. You know, this thing about being against our help, whenever we sin against the Lord, we're actually against our help. That's why he says when we turn to him and we turn away from the things he would have us to turn away from, it'd be healing to our body and refreshment to our bones. So he compares himself to a lion. That's not the way that we want to encounter him. Let me just put it that way. So I don't know how you visualize or think of Jesus. When you think about the Christ, I don't know exactly you know, what you see. But I want to share with you what John saw in the Revelation. It says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard behind him a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands one like a son of man Clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, girded across his breast with a golden girdle, and his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand were seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I had the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, and the, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. This is a reference to Jesus Christ himself. Now, what's amazing to me about this is John had been with him for three years in his earthly ministry. He was with Christ after he rose from the dead. He was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He witnessed miracles... And when he sees the Christ, when he sees Jesus here, he falls at his feet like a dead man. That's pure terror. So as far as who Christ is now, here's another reference about him. Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, and they were under a lot of affliction. They were being persecuted. And he says, After all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. In other words, justice and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. This is the lion. And to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The word obey means with the hearing and then not yielding to it. Not getting under it. Hupo, akua. They've heard, but they say no. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes to be glorified or honored in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. So when we see Him, when I see Him, who He really is, I'm going to marvel at who he truly and actually is. Now, concerning these warnings to mankind about his function as a lion, this is nothing new at all. A thousand years B.C., listen to this. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain, empty thing? The kings of the earth take their stand And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His Anointed One or against His Messiah, against the Christ. And what do they say? Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Rebellion against God. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You know, this may be the only reference to God laughing. But it's not the laugh of humor. The Lord scoffs at them. And he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, what God is saying, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now, this is the son saying, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He, the Father, said to me, the Son, Thou art my Son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Well, I have the feeling that's happened. In the very ends of the earth, as your possession, I'm certain the Son has asked the Father this. In fact, we're told in John, in, in the Last Supper, And it said, Jesus, knowing that everything had been given into his hands, sometime even before that last supper, because it's a perfect tense, which means an action in the past time that's continuing to the present, he knew God the Father, even before the cross, had already turned it all over to him. And knowing that, it says he rose from supper, and what did he do? He became a servant and washed the disciples' feet. But he already knew all authority had been given to him. And then after the resurrection, he he did say that. All authority has been given to me in the heavens and on earth. We're told in Hebrews that all things have been subjected to him, but we do not yet see all things subjected to him. We don't see it yet, but it's already happened and it's coming. Now, when Jesus was in the garden and was being arrested, he was directing that whole scene because they came to arrest him and he said, who do you seek? Well, the disciples are with him, and they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said, I am. And when he said that, they all fell to the ground. Well, as they scrambled back up, he said, who is it you seek? Well, Jesus, the Nazarene. Okay, then let these go their way. So he was making orders even there, and Peter cut off Malchus's ear, and he said, Peter, put the sword back up. This cup that I've been given by the Father, shall I not drink it? So he was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, when he didn't have to be. That's the point of this. So what he's saying here is a the very ends of the earth are going to be given his possession. And he says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and shall shatter them like earthenware. In other words, you're the boss, the lion. So what's the conclusion of that? Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Now that worship the Lord with reverence is serve the Lord with fear. He's talking to the kings, the leaders, the judges of this earth. It's a warning to them. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son or kiss the Son lest he become angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath may soon be kindled, the lion. Then he says, How blessed are all who take refuge in him, the lamb. It's going to be one or the other. Now to fast forward, and even to go to the future of us, there's a point in the Revelation, all the leaders of the earth, everybody is sold out against the Lord, against God's authority. That's really all it comes down to. In other words, We want to do what we want to do, how we want to do it. And there's warnings all through the Bible about you leaning to your own understanding. There was even the Assyrians. One of the things that God told the Israelites is their law originates within themselves. They were a fierce people and their law originated within themselves. They could care less what God thought about anything. Well, here in the end times, it appears, this whole coalition is going to raise it up against God and these will wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So everything that these kings and judges and leaders of the earth can muster up, they can't even beat the Lamb. I can guarantee you they have no hope against the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, if you saw what I did last week, there was one little thing I said in the very beginning, that one of my goals, I want you to think differently about the person of Jesus Christ. Think differently. That has to do with the mind. I want to take a moment to talk about what repentance is. Many of you have been around Christianity, you'll hear, repent from your sins and believe in the gospel or believe in Jesus or turn to the Lord or something like that. repent of your sins what are they saying when when you hear that what do you what do you feel like they're saying don't you think it's like turn away from your sins the word repent in the Greek is a compound word and it's metanoia meta is a preposition it means with or after and then noia or nous means the mind so when he says repent everywhere that's talking about repent is talking about with the mind of changing your mind. It's the picture of having a conclusion on something. And then you revisit that conclusion, get more information, rethink it, and you abandon your former conclusion and you embrace a new conclusion. But it's with the mind, so you've afterminded something. It never says in the Bible, repent of your sins and believe that, of your sins. That phrase isn't stuck in there. He says, repent and believe. Many of them are what I call open-ended calls. So it's change your mind and believe. Well, change your mind about what? Well, to say repent of your sins, that is a call to what I say, looking at your belly button, looking inside, call it repent of your sins and then believe. Whereas I'm convinced what he's talking about is repent, change your mind about what? about who Jesus is, your need for him, to reconsider who he is, what he's done, and what his claims and demands are. In other words, the focus is repent. It's outside. It's towards him, not inside, towards us, where we're looking at our own belly button, so to speak. I've got an article on this, so you can read that to find out a little bit more. But it's like when Peter was talking to the group after the resurrection and after Pentecost, that you've crucified the Lord of glory. And they were struck through as he went through this whole sermon with them. Men and brethren, what must we do? See, they changed their mind about who Jesus was. And it's like, what do we do now? What can we do? He says, repent, change your mind about who he is, which is obvious they were, and believe, embrace this forgiveness or pardon that he is extending as the Lamb of God. So you change your mind about who he is. Paul said if they had known mentally, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know who he was. So Paul's whole thing was to change your mind about who he is. Rethink about who he is. I'm not trying to prove a point, but to bolster what I'm saying here, there is a word for turning away. It's apostrofo, or strefo itself means turn around. It's a physical moving. It's A changing course, reversing course. And he doesn't say apostropho or strepho and believe, pistool, like turn around and believe. It's change your mind and believe. Change your mind about Christ. Now, we are also going to change our mind about sin, and we are going to turn from our sins. That's indeed part of Christianity. But as far as our personal sins are concerned, We do need to be convicted about our sin, that we have sinned against God. The way Jesus put it, he said, You're not going to seek a physician unless you know you're sick. Paul said that the law of God, the Mosaic law, he called it the ministry of death. But he talked about how the law can be used lawfully. And the way it's used lawfully is to show us, to tell us what God considers right or wrong, in other words, sin or righteousness and to convince us that we are indeed in trouble with God, we have sinned against him. And it is a tutor that leads us to Christ. It shows us our need for the Lamb of God. So it's not a call that we to turn from our sins. It's to be convicted about our sins, to acknowledge our sins, that we've sinned against him. And then it's like, what must I do? And he's saying, you can't do anything about that in terms of pardon for it. That's why you need Christ as the Lamb of God. So the whole point of teaching about sin is to convince us that we're sick. That's it. And so that is why it is a tutor that leads us to Christ where we change our mind about who Jesus is and what he's done and the value of that and we call on him and we receive him. That's the first step. And then step by step, he'll convict us of particular sin areas that he does want us to turn from and that is indeed going to happen but it's not a belly button look here we're to be looking to him and the repentance is a change of mind about who he is i don't want to beat this to death but i hope you you get that so that's been my goal with the message on the lamb of god and the lion of the tribe of judah is to if needed change your thinking about who jesus is In concluding, I want to share what I ended one of my articles with. I was writing an article, Two Governing Officials, based a lot on this Psalm 2, which, by the way, governing officials, amazingly, in the New Testament, they're called, it's the word for deacons, or ministers. God says government officials are ministers to Him, and they're going to account for how they ministered with this authority that's been given to them. Now most of them don't believe that, that's obvious, but that doesn't change that fact that that's indeed the way God views it and they're going to account for the laws they passed or the things they've done and how it's affected everybody underneath their jurisdictions. Well on the abortion thing I was warning governing officials about participating in this activity in any way and here's how I concluded it because I'm talking about now Judgment Day when it's gonna be the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I said, do not think that your pro-choice voting block, the lobbyists who've encouraged you to support abortion, or your advisors are gonna to come to your aid on judgment day. God will be meeting out their reward for their own errant actions and influences. And those same friends, they'll be declaring that you made your own choices and Those choices should not fall back on them. Know that each one of them will be scrambling in a vain attempt to save their own selves from the Creator. You and your defense for what you've done will be the last thing on their minds. So these people that were your friends in this life encouraging you to be doing all this, when that day comes and it's the lion, they're not going to be thinking about you one bit, trying to defend you or trying to help you. They'll be scrambling for their own selves. So I said, in this matter, I am your friend by telling you this material. But you must listen now. I will not be able to help you then. Now this is not meant as a threat to anyone that's listening to this. Because I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you the Lamb of God, the benevolence that's extended from God by a cross for my pardon. I want to receive that and I want to live in that showing him that I appreciate what he's done for me. I do want to turn from my sins as he reveals to me what those are, why it's wrong, and then why I need to turn away from them. And it'll always be for my own good and health and benefit and I'll be of more use to him and I'll be a better benefit to everyone around me. But I've also say, look, Lord, if I'm not gonna do that out of love and appreciation for you as the Lamb of God and what you've done, then show yourself as a lion to me. Perfect love does cast out all fear, but I don't have perfect love for God. I just don't. I wish I did. If I did, I would obey him constantly. So, Lord, if I'm not going to obey you in appreciation for you being the Lamb of God for me, then show yourself as the lion to where out of fear I yield to you. I'll take that. And the last thing I want to say is this change of mind towards God and then our change of mind eventually towards our sins, which leads then to behavior changes. God says this will be a repentance or change of mind that is without regret. That's his job. His job is to make sure we do not regret when we say yes to him. And he's real good about that. I appreciate you listening here, and I hope this has been a benefit to you. And like I say, you listen to these things, you'll learn great and mighty things that you do not know. And all of this material, there's only one place it leads to. It always leads to life, and you will indeed